So Becca, I like to spend a lot of my time around some really smart people because I feel like they're more likely to have some really good ideas. And I try to learn from them as best as I can. And one idea you had that I learned about uh, last year was that you always have a theme or word for the year. So I have decided to do that for 2023. And my theme, my theme is honoring my limitations. So, so I, I don't really get too caught up in New Year's resolutions and things like that. And, you know, I think we focus too much on goals instead of the, the process of things. So looking forward to honoring my limitations and excited about all the mistakes I'm going to make along the way. <laughs> well, that's where the learning happens, of course, right? Yeah. And you say that, and I say that too. I say stupid things like that, like looking forward to my mistakes, right? And never all poo-poo on you, Becca, you're saying your stupid sayings. But it works so well. If you flip that script in your own head, right? It just it just works like magic. And if you get in those habits of doing those little things all the time, it's a lot easier. But I love that that's your choice for this year. I think it's so because I'm always like, Doug, you know, days off, you're tired, <laughs> you can't do so much, blah, 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 right? Yeah. And it's always that. And so honoring those limitations that like, yeah, you, my friend, also have spoons. <laughs> you yeah. must count them with the rest of us. Definitely. Right? And I'm sure sure there's going to be a point where I'm going to think, oh, I got this under control. And then two days later, I'm going to be really overwhelmed. And yes. I'm going to I'm going to try to look forward to that uh, and learn from I learned from that. So I'm going to try to well, learn. Right, that's the that's the hard part is, is like when we teach ourselves new habits, yeah. inevitably, you're going to forget and do your old habit. Inevitably, you're going to crash and burn one day. Right. The whole goal, though, is just to get up well and, and like forgive yourself. Give yourself some kindness. Right. If you make that mistake, that doesn't negate all the times you did it better before that. And it doesn't negate all the times you're going to do it better in the future. Like, you just got to be like, OK, I screwed up. Right. We don't create habits overnight, so we can't get rid of them overnight. Mm-hmm. But I love that you're doing a theme. I love and because the whole idea behind a the theme to me is that you can't fail on a theme like you can't. You can certainly, when you do resolutions, you set yourself kind of this this boundary, and it's a very black and white boundary. You've mm-hmm. either lost the five pounds, stayed on the diet, or mm-hmm. not. But when you have a theme, it kind of travels with you throughout the year. So when you're faced with all of your annual challenges, right, whatever comes up, it's always like through that lens. So your challenge this year is, am I honoring my limitations? That's the question of the year in every scenario. For me this year, I will share my word because it took me a long time this year to pick. And I have gone this year for 2023 with the word fulfill because I have been through so many massive transitions this year in the year of 2022. Now I want to see all those dreams fulfilled, all the things that I imagined would happen because of the move, because of my job change, because of all those things. Now I want to fulfill all those little pieces for myself and and start to enjoy some of the transition. So that is my word and my theme for this year is to look for fulfilling things, to find fulfillment in what I do. So yeah, but I I am so excited for today's guest and you know this, but I will share it with everyone (laughs) else that I often have like weird, I call them crushes on people when I really think that they're talented at something that I envy. So our guest today is a writing crush of mine. 
she is a fantastic fantastic advocate and a fantastic writer and oftentimes i will want to write things but then i find her stuff and i'm like oh but she said it better already i'm just gonna take hers and share it instead <laughs> that's where we're coming from so please welcome everybody jamie heidel i'm so excited to have you with us thank you thank you for having me hi <laughs> I wasn't sure if I should speak then. You guys were talking and I'm like, maybe I should just turn my camera off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So Jamie, you know, we have a lot of people that have a lot of different interests that we, we talk with. And some of your interests, I don't think we've discussed here on InfoDump. So I'm really excited to get into those things with you. So from my understanding, you like creepy things but especially those things that are unexplained. So tell me a little bit of, about that. How did you like get into th this kind of passion of yours? So here's, here's the thing. A lot of times when I tell people, and I've actually stopped telling people this because they definitely get the wrong idea. <laughs> I do love creepy things, but when I say that, I've said to people, oh, I love horror movies. And people, when you when you hear someone say that they get the idea that it's really like the gory and mm -hmm. slasher like torture kind of like saw hostile movies i i won't even look at them i don't like that that actually really really freaks me out and not in a fun way it grosses me out and i'm not looking to be grossed out so i've said that i like horror movies and people get this idea of like it, i don't know what they think but it's usually doesn't translate <laughs> so then i tell people no I like horror movies like The Strangers or Mama or Halloween, the original 1970 Halloween is my favorite, one of my favorite movies of all time. And I will go on record saying this, hopefully Jamie Lee Curtis never hears me, but <laughs> Halloween ends ruined the franchise. I'm still mad about it, <laughs> but that's another <laughs> side note. So other horror movies that I like, yeah, I liked The Blair Witch Project when it first came out. I was I was all of 19 years old and I saw it in a theater and I was terrified and I actually went home and, and turned my lights on and my radio on my TV and I was so scared I couldn't sleep so stuff like that like the hitcher the hitcher is considered a thriller I don't know if either one of you have ever saw that the original with Rucker Howard it's brilliant brilliant story stuff like that joyride that's another one that's one of my favorites so when you think about the kind of like horror I'm into, it kind of falls into like the horror thriller category or the paranormal, or it's like a mystery. Like what's going on? I feel, I hear some bumps in the night, something strange is going on and I'm trying to figure it out. So I really like that aspect of it. I'm the same way with podcasts. I really like, you know, like kind of creepy podcasts. Like, and again, the kind of creepy I like is like, you know, she was driving down the road and she, someone was following her she wasn't it was somebody following her or she saw something out of the corner of her eye in the woods you know and for me that's like the best part of it sometimes people get the idea that horror lovers you know, i can't speak for all horror lovers but that it's just like oh it's slashing gore mm. but for me the best part of it is actually the beginning of a horror movie when things are starting to get weird because i get this sort of like anticipatory feeling in my stomach like the the kind of butterflies in my stomach and it's like, oh, this is exciting. And you get on the edge of your seat and it's like really safe kind of endorphins. And 
okay, what's going on? But then you get to the last part where, you know, the monster finally comes out and starts eating people or the killer comes out and starts hacking people to death. That's when I'm like, oh God, oh, no. <laughs> I don't want to see that part, even though, I mean, I'll, I'll watch it, but I kind of watch it through my fingers. I'm like, oh, geez, that's, that's unfortunate. So for me, it was like the buildup of it is the part that I like the most when it comes to creepy stuff. So I'm the same way with podcasts. There are certain things that I actually refuse to watch and refuse to listen to because certain topics I just, mm -mm, nope. But yeah, that's, and I don't know. It's just something, it's hard for me to explain why I like it. And what's funny is that you're both asking me this and no one ever has. <laughs> and I, I don't, info dumping is hard for me because I've trained myself out of it. Right. You know, like so many autistic people, I'm like, oh, I don't want to do that. But, but yeah, so I, I feel kind of stilted. But mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, that's that's why I like it. Um, I could tell you how I started getting into it and all that. But yeah, that's, I mean, what I find interesting about it is I'm very similar. So like gory kind of really graphic horror to me is not I just feel like I'm watching a really bad movie. Like it doesn't I don't get entertained by it. I'm like, that's not realistic. That wouldn't be that much blood. That's yeah. not how that right. So I go through it and I can't get I can't lose myself because like I can't lose myself in the story. I like realistic creep. That's what yeah, I, realist, I right? do. Like I could, it could possibly happen to me if I was driving alone on this road by myself. And that is scary. <laughs> that is real scary. And I, I, that's what I find. And so maybe it's like that. I need to believe that it could happen. I need to be able to buy in to yeah. the story enough to be scared by it, I guess. True. Doug, do you watch, uh, do you watch anything like that or is that not your thing? Most horror is not my thing. I just kind of like what you were describing, Beck. I kind of get bored sometimes with it. It's just like, oh yeah, here here comes the bad guy. He's gonna he's gonna kill someone now. It's like you know, probably at the end, like something bad is gonna happen to him, or it's gonna be like a to be continued, you know, type of thing. I'm wondering about kind of the thriller part of it when you kind of like trying to like maybe. Is there a part of a problem-solving element to it? Like, are you good at, like, figuring out what's about to happen? Because I'm definitely not. You know, it's it's funny because my my partner is really good at figuring things out and figuring out what, where the plot is going. And then sometimes I actually just watched a movie last night called Significant Other. And, oh, wow, it didn't go in the direction that I thought it was going to go. And first of all, it was sci-fi, and I didn't realize it. But I liked it. It was it was weird. It was one of the weirdest movies I've seen in a while. It had elements of sci-fi in it. But unfortunately, as soon as I saw like the first five minutes, I'm like, okay, I know what's going to happen. But I still watched it anyway. I think it's just a matter that I've seen a lot of movies and a, a lot of like horror movies and consumed a lot of horror content, a lot of thriller content and creepy stuff. So I kind of know what's coming. So when I do end up seeing a movie that isn't necessarily like that, I tend to really be impressed with it. I saw the movie Men when it first came out and I thought it was absolutely brilliant, brilliant art piece of a movie. It was one of the most, it was just beautiful. It was bizarre and it was so deep and it explained so much of the, of women's experience in dealing with men. No offense to you, Doug. Um, <laughs> it just, it talked about the, the generalized experience of what it's like to be a woman in a society where men look at women as objects. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean all men do that, but it was brilliantly, brilliantly illustrated. 
it was just so brilliantly illustrated that I was just like locked to the screen and I'm just staring at it and I was absolutely enthralled and I can't wait to see you know I can't wait to see it again I haven't seen it I haven't sat down and to see it but it was brilliant and it was beautiful and I think a lot of you know some horror movie goers might have thought that it was going in a completely different direction so they might have gone what 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 am I watching but I absolutely loved it another movie that came out recently which I huge disclaimer here I don't recommend seeing this movie if you have had a lot of trauma if you have had a lot of trauma brace yourself because it is a doozy but smile wow blown away by how they tackle some really sensitive really difficult subjects and also turn it into a terrifying movie at the end of the movie i sat there uh, my partner and i were sitting there and everybody left the theater and i burst into tears because it was a very very emotional movie so again if anyone's going to see that be aware of what you're seeing it's it's a very triggering movie but it was very 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 well done is is your experience different watching those movies in the theater versus watching them at home you know before the pandemic i enjoyed going to theaters like opening night if it was a movie like like for example when the halloween trilogy rebooted Mm. it was so exciting to go see that in theater the first one even though i was disappointed in the ending it was nice to see that and have this like reaction with everyone else Mm. it's kind of a safe way for me and a comfortable way for me to be kind of social in a way because you know my partner and I are sitting there and everyone is like you know jumping at the same time screaming at the same time you know laughing at the same time and it gives me that feeling of community without ever having to actually interact Mm -hmm. so that is wonderful I love that so much I feel like I get the energy from people and the energy that they're giving out but I don't have to interact with them so that's nice (laughs) and I I feel safe and I also it's kind of it's kind of interesting I've seen uh, the nun in the theater too and there was some jerkwad talking behind me and so bad because I'm like Mm -hmm. it's a very atmospheric film you don't want to watch that with someone talking behind you oh it's so annoying but I remember that still because I was like but that was another one it was very it was just the music is very droning and deep and hypnotic it's just all-encompassing orchestral type of sound and watching that in the theater was amazing i i'm glad that the first time i ever saw it was in the theater but at home i mean i definitely don't i don't know if i feel the same way i mean i can watch a movie like that alone curled up you know i'd like to get all curled up and turn all the lights off and just like sink into another world for like an hour and a half two hours and it's quiet time for me it's time for me to just stare off into one space and just feel emotions that are kind of generated emotions Mm -hmm. and kind of feel what the characters are feeling and go through it with them and I feel very connected when I when I do that I know some people will watch a movie and they're kind of like half scrolling through their phone and half like not paying attention and usually unless I'm bored with the movie I am totally all in I'm having the same emotional experiences as the characters and Mm -hmm. I love it I can relate to the, to that because I feel like as I've gotten older, I've realized why I love movies and now TV series so much because I feel that connection to the characters and I feel like that's part of my autistic experience is that desperate need for connection. So beyond creepy things or unexplained things, apparently you're a lover of Sims. I am, but I did want to just circle back around because I did. you did ask me how it started, and I did want to tell you how it started. 
So my love of all things creepy started uh, when I was very young. My grandmother, she was, she was into it. She was definitely into horror movies. I watched them way too young. And I remember that I went to the library. I was probably like six, maybe even younger. Went to the library and on the bottom shelf, and I remember this. I can't remember what I did yesterday, but I can remember this. There was a book about ghosts and stuff like that, ghost spirits and all, all this. And it had a very distinct cover of a ghost coming down the stairs. And it's a really famous picture of a supposed spirit. And um, it talked about, you know, aliens and UFO and all this other stuff. And I I took it home and I, I had it all the time. I checked it out of the library constantly. I read it cover to cover. I was absolutely enthralled and completely obsessed. And that's how it became, you know, my thing. And then as a lot of 80s and 90s babies grew up with uh, scary stories to tell in the dark. And I read those voraciously and I love them. And they re-released them about a year ago and I bought them and I was so happy. So that's how it started. It just started out with, that's just, I remember another thing too that I would love to share. And even though it's really bizarre and I'm not sure who could relate to it is that, and I'm going somewhere with this. My stomach when I was a kid always hurt. I still have that problem now. I've got a lot of digestive issues like a lot of autistic people do. I mean, a lot of us have digestive problems. And I remember when I would read these things, I would forget that I was in pain. And not only was I not in pain, but I started having this butterfly, like comforting feeling in my stomach, like a warm butterfly, excited feeling. And it was one of the only times that my stomach didn't hurt. So I also associated reading that and consuming that type of content, which was just creepy, but not, obviously I was a kid, you know, not gory, but that really did do something. And it sort of sucked me in so deeply that I didn't feel the physical pain anymore. And I also felt like my stomach felt, I guess, good. So that was another thing I could never articulate and explain when I was a child. Like, why do you like creepy things? And of course, everyone had this thought, you know, it's the 80s. Everybody had this thought like, oh God, she's going to grow up to be a serial killer. No, I just, I ended up growing up to be a writer. I've published a few scary stories myself. And that's how it all began. But I wanted to, I wanted to include that because I didn't want to leave that out. And um, you are a uh, a lover of Sims. I am. I love The Sims very much. It's funny because I started playing a lot later than most people would start playing because I saw it when I was in my twenties, and I was like, "Oh, this is The Sims. This is really cool. I can never go near it because I can tell you right now, I'll never live life." I saw that and I knew I would immediately become sucked in. I would become addicted and I would never do anything with my life. I would just do that forever. And so I didn't go near it. I didn't feel like I was capable of going near it because it would become so addictive. Um, the thing that I ended up playing before that was Roller Coaster Tycoon and I never actually played it. I just sort of set up the towns and stuff. Or not set up the towns, I'm sorry, they don't have towns. Set up the rides and uh, I could spend hours doing that. Love setting things up, love building. But then I finally, embarrassingly, started playing Sims when I was 30. And I I loved it. I loved everything about it, but I didn't actually play the game very much. What I did for a very long time was just build. Very much like I used to do as an autistic child, I set things up and I got my dollhouse ready, so to speak, and I got my dolls ready, so to speak, and I set everything up and I made it all perfect. And then I would close the game down because that's how I play. It took me a very long time to be like, okay, maybe I'll go in there and I'll play the game. You know, like, like this is weird. <laughs> sure, I'll try this. 
but I ended up finding the creation process. The creation process is so engrossing. It's really hard for me to, to stick to one thing. So I would create the Sims and, you know, make maybe play and stuff. But I will say that one of the things that I learned early on in the Sims is I actually learned some social skills from the Sims. And I was amazed at some of the things that the Sims answered for me that I didn't even know I had questions on. So back when I think it was either Sims, the first one or maybe the third one, I think I bypassed the second one completely, but I got the third one and I remembered that there's certain things that you have to do in the third one. They don't make you do in the fourth one, which is great because it's much more neurodivergent friendly for me. But one of the things that they, they do is like they have friendship interactions, right? So you have a conversation with somebody and you can kind of see the little plus bar. You can see the negative bar to see if the, they like the interaction. They don't like the interaction. What, you know, they have little thought bubbles above their head to tell you what they're thinking. And I remember very distinctly one time I was talking to somebody you know, as my character, that I had a character, my Sim was talking to another Sim. And I remember one of the options was give a hug. And the Sim went to give the person a hug and the person's like this and like tries to get away and is like, no, 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 no. And I went, oh my God. And I had this huge revelation that I'm a hugger. I know people have this idea that all autistic people despise hugs, but no, that's not true. I'm actually a hugger, but it depends on who it is. But I'm very physically affectionate. I always have been. So for me, I saw the two Sims interacting. They didn't know each other very well. So I, I went to do that and I was embarrassed for my Sim. And then I remembered that this used to happen to me all the time, that I would try to do some social interaction and I would get it wrong, but nobody had those convenient little bars over their heads to tell me that I did something wrong. So I saw that and I was like, oh my God, that actually makes sense because people that I would know in, you know, especially when I was a kid, when I was a kid, I used to be very physically tactile. I was very tactile. I'm a very tactile person. I'm very sensory seeking. I'm sensory avoiding in some ways, but like someone would have long hair and a ponytail and I couldn't stop playing with it. Or, you know, somebody would be, would have cute puffy cheeks and I'd, I'd have to squeeze them or stuff like that. Or I, I would see people and I'd be so exuberantly happy to see someone that I would give them a hug and they didn't even like, they were like, you know, I didn't, I didn't understand. I didn't know. I would, I would hug total strangers when I was a child. So seeing that was like it taught me something and then there was another thing that happened too where i was my sim character was friends with this other sim character and they were kind of building a friendship now this doesn't happen in the sims 4 but it happens in the sims 3. something like the phone rang and then the sim picked it up and she's like well judy hasn't heard from you in a while so i guess you're friend i guess you're not interested in being friends anymore and that was another huge sock to the stomach because i'm like that was the first time in the Sims, in my thirties, that I knew about friendship maintenance. That's how I learned from the Sims. I was like, I don't, I didn't even know what friendship maintenance was. Because for me as an autistic person, once I make a connection with you, we have a connection. Never goes away. It goes like this. Nice. And for people who are listening, I'm doing like a plane with my hand. It just goes on an even scale, even. It just stays that way. But from what I've understood of neurotypical people, you have to maintain the friendship and, you know, talking and hanging out regularly and catching up regularly. Otherwise, and same plain hand, it goes down. And I never knew that. And that was the Sims teaching me that. So that was, I don't even know how to describe the emotions I felt when that happened. But mostly playing the Sims now, I love building. I'm not great at it because I'm terrible with spatial relations, 
but I love doing it. I love building. I love creating characters. I've gotten to the point where I do play, but I get really bored because I'm autistic, also ADHD. So I get bored. And then I'm like, okay, I've played this. This is great. And then I start a new family. And then I start this whole storyline in my head. And then I'm like, and then I'm like four or five games deep. And I'm like, oh my God, I've never finished any of my storylines. So I'm still trying really hard to finish like a storyline. I mean, not that you can ever finish them, but you know what I mean? Like have a sim, have them get married, maybe have a child and then like go from there and have this whole story. It's really hard for me to keep up because I really, really, really enjoy the creation process so I can get bored with the actual playing process pretty easily. It's been a long time since I played a sim, but I remember I had a love-hate relationship with it. I loved actually playing it initially and I would like, like, I would just start like playing and I couldn't stop. And then like all of a sudden I would like look at like this town or this, this world that I'd built and I, and I would look at, I would look at the farm that I put down and then right next to it was a skyscraper. And I think that didn't make any sense. <laughs> so, so I would just get frustrated with myself and I would quit. So that's my uh, Sims experience. <laughs> the Sims, I think for me, my only recollection of playing it right now is that I get annoyed in The Sims at the same things I get annoyed at in real life. <laughs> like how you have to pay attention to the going to the bathroom and the showering and the, I'm like, come on, that's already annoying in real life. Why does it have to be annoying here? Like, come on. It's like, I was busy doing nothing. I have to stop and go to the bath. That's exactly how I feel. That's in how life. I feel in real life. Absolutely. That's how I feel in real life. There's a cheat for that. And I sometimes <laughs> use it. You can disable the need decay so you can keep them up and they never have to go to the bathroom and they never have to eat. They have oh. to do anything. I definitely use a lot of cheat codes. I use money cheats. I use, I use a lot of cheats because to me, it's just creating. Mm-hmm. I don't really want it to be a challenge. I'm not looking for a challenge. My life is challenging. Like every day is challenging. So I tend to use all the cheats because I want to just have this perfect life. Like my, my Sims are in a perfect world. That's what I want. So, but yeah, I completely agree with you as a person who has not great interoception. And also I could be really hungry or whatever and not want to stop what I'm doing. So I don't stop what I'm doing. And then I get to the point where I'm, I feel like I'm going to pass out. So I, I get it. Yeah. Sometimes that irritates me too. I'm like, I just took you to the bathroom and then everything goes so fast. Did we not just go? We just went. And then if everything goes so fast in The Sims, it's like, it's been actually seven hours. And then as soon as they drink a glass of water, they instantly have to go to the bathroom. And you're like, do you just want, and it's instant. It's like that. Okay. That's not very realistic. It's not instant (laughs) like that. So other things that I found hilarious in The Sims is of course the glitches. I love the glitches. They're so funny. But they're also annoying. So I don't know, Becca, how much Sims you've actually played, but they, everyone in the Sims community makes fun of this. For some reason, you can have like a perfectly good kitchen sink and they'll go, they will, as soon as they have a plate, they'll go all the way upstairs to the bathroom on the second floor to wash a plate in the bathroom sink. And that's very strange. Like, so why, why are you doing that? They've never fixed it. It's always been that way. Wow. So I'm just like, what, what is going on? But some of the some of the glitches are hilarious. So it's fun. But yeah, you're right. The bathroom thing, the eating thing. It's like I kind of had a metaphor for life and kind of looking at like, well, it's impossible to do all these things. Like keep the sim alive while right. also keeping them at their job, while also having some hobbies, while also having friendships and everything. It's else. hard. It's really hard. Yeah. So and that's and I think well, 
it's really hard. So that's why adulting is hard, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Now, uh, you know, Becca mentioned earlier, Jamie, I don't want us to uh, leave this episode without uh, talking a little bit about your writing and how people can find all the great stuff that you write. Well, you can find the stuff that I write at www.thearticulateautistic.com or you can go to my Instagram. It's the same handle at the Articulate Autistic. And I do taking a bit of a break right now, but just for the holidays, but I do discussion questions. I try to do them Monday, Wednesday, Friday. I try to post. I don't always do discussion questions, but that's basically what I do on my Instagram is I ask people in the autistic community, have you experienced this? Is this something that you're familiar with? Is this something that happens to you as well? And if I get a lot of feedback and I get a lot of people saying, yeah, people misunderstand this and they misunderstand that, I have a, I tend to like look at it and go into an article or add it to an article or just write a whole article about it. One of the things that I wrote recently was about how, and not all autistic people have this problem, but how some autistic people have a problem finding objects that are in plain sight. It's not just autistic, it's ADHD as well. And I'm the kind of person who, if there's a cluttered desk and you ask me to get something, I, I can't do that and I can't find it and I start panicking. And when I see a desk like that, I just, I call it the amorphous blob of one thing. <laughs> and that's all I see. So I don't see whatever it is you're asking me to get. And I wrote about that and so many people identified with that, that I did turn it into an article. And it was very, it, I was surprised by the amount of people who were like, oh my goodness. One, I, I will say this was a, a bit of a pet peeve for me though. I couldn't believe how many people said to me in response to that, Oh, I thought my child was just joking or I thought, I thought my, my son was just exaggerating or my daughter was just pretending right. or my, even my husband. Oh, I thought, I thought my husband was just being stubborn. That's my favorite. One. Right. Yeah. Being stubborn and stuff. And I'm just, I sat there with my jaw open. I'm like, so it's not just me. I know that, but sometimes just to get these confirmations that so many autistic people are still being like treated like they're messing around it's disturbing to me and it just fuels my need to explain and advocate even more so but well, yes i really appreciate the way that you manage these topics because it's we tend to get blamed right they also, we, and when in these scenarios right we're the ones that have to do the extra work or we're the ones that are blamed for it not going the way it's supposed to go or whatever and what i love about your pieces is they're direct but they're not yelly like you're not yelling at people, which is what I, it's, you know, when you want to share articles or you want to share what you're struggling through with people you care about, you don't want to hand them a yelly article. You just want to be like, hey, this is why this is hard for me, right? And that's what I love about your pieces. And so I do, I share them regularly and I really do appreciate the time that you take to really honestly and directly talk about what goes on for us in the community and how you know, we get misinterpreted and misunderstood on a regular basis. Yeah. No, you're welcome. I, my goal, and I've said this many times, is to try to reduce the number of neurodivergent people coming up in the world now to reduce the number of, of us who have uh, complex PTSD like I do. Yeah. Because constantly being misunderstood every moment of every day, if you have any, you know, contact with the outside world is, it's traumatic in and of itself, even if you don't go through any other type of abuse even though it's not intended to be abuse, going through that and having people misunderstand you or get angry with you all the time and not knowing why 
is damaging and traumatizing. And it also feels like it has the same effect as purposeful gaslighting because the neurotypical person is seeing one thing, the autistic person is seeing the uh, another and neither one of them is wrong. You just experiencing the world differently. So that's why I do what I do. And I call myself an autistic communication translator more often than I call myself an advocate because I like to get into the nitty gritty, tiny little pieces of like, this is why this is happening. And it seems to be helping. So I'm glad that it's helping you too. It's definitely, I mean, I've seen the impact and I just, I really, I write about a lot of things, but when you see another writer who just does a really good job articulating for lack of a better word, but at articulating, right, these challenges so that it truly demystifies it, right? So it's like, it's not like this crazy thing that's happening. Here's what's happening. A, B, C, right? And I just, I'm like, she does it well. I'm not going to try and do it. I'm just going to take her article and share it with somebody, you know what I mean? And so really, kudos to you. I really do appreciate it. If you haven't read anything that Jamie has written, please go and read some articles and share them with your family and friends in your circle because she does a great job with it. Thank you very much. I love what I do. I feel like it's my my life's work. It took me, I feel like it took me quite a while to figure out what I wanted to do with my life. But now that I found this, this is exactly what I want to do for forever. Uh, Jamie, we end each episode with an 11 question questionnaire and okay. called Inside the Autistic Studio. So just 11 quick questions. Uh, whatever comes to your mind, uh, share it with us. Okay. Number one, what are your pronouns? Oh, she, her. And what is your preferred STEM? My preferred STEM. Oh, my goodness. I am. I'm a squishy girl. <laughs> Squish is my favorite. Anything squishy, I'm squishing it. What is your favorite curse word? Fuck. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> Who do you love and what are you doing about it? Oh, what do you mean by that? That's too general. <laughs> I guess it could be a person. It could be maybe a special interest. Anything that comes to your mind. Could be a, it, it could be another. It doesn't have to be a human being. Okay. It could be a pet. Yeah. I don't have one of those. Who do I love? All of humanity. What am I doing about it? Trying to save it. (laughs) So the next two are fill in the blank. You may be neurotypical if. You're putting me on the spot here. (laughs) (laughs) You may be neurotypical if you say to someone, if there's anything I can do, just call. And when the person calls, you get upset about it. You may be autistic if. Someone says, hey, let's go for coffee. And you actually think that they want to go for coffee. (laughs) I love those very specific examples for these last (laughs) two. That was wonderful. What's something you want to learn to do or be better at? Um, Well, I actually make jewelry in my spare time. And I do beading. I've been doing beading for a couple of couple years now. Some people know this about me. Some people don't. I went through breast cancer in 2020 and I started because I couldn't do anything. I was couldn't write, couldn't think. And so while I was going through treatment, I started beading again and I actually have an Etsy shop. So I want to, I want to get better at that. I want to just, I don't want to just string beads and like little necklaces. I want to get better at that. I want to learn more and, and get better at that. So. What autistic social media accounts should people be paying attention to? 
Oh, neuroclastic, definitely. I think they have a great following, but I think people should always pay attention to them. Neurodivergent Rebel. I'm trying to think. There are a few. Autistic Callum, Auti Nell, and Mind Your Autistic Brain. That's Carol Jean Whittington. And I'm trying to think. I can't think of any others off the top of my head, and I swear someone's going to be like, hi. You know, how did you not, how did you not think of this but unfortunately when i'm put on the spot it's hard for me to answer questions so that's what i came up with what's one thing in your routine you couldn't possibly live without oh you know i can't probably the one thing i i mean there's a lot honestly i mean my routine is what i can't live without but i would say taking hot baths they're so comforting to me and wonderful and i love them so i love being in water it's very soothing so dog cat or must I choose cat and then the uh, last question what does autistic joy mean to you autistic joy to me autistic joy is when I experience something like for me it's cute stuff anything cute I have seen something cute in the wild and I am 43 years old and I, if I see something cute in the wild, I can, if I'm not careful to rein it in, get all happy flappy and squealy like a kid. So autistic joy for me is like, let's say seeing a little kitten or a little lamb or it's just something cute. And I'm just like, <laughs> I instantly turn into a little kid. And it's, it's just everything. It's the moment that I forget that I'm not supposed to be acting that way. So like, I'll, even if I'm scrolling through, and I see something incredibly cute, I get to react to it the way my body and brain wants to react to it instead of reining it in. So that is what autistic joy is to me. Is that the, our last one? That is it. Why do I, can I never retain that autistic joy is the last question? I think I'm so invested in everybody's answer to that question that I forget it then every time. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Jamie. I appreciate having you. I hope you had fun having a little chit chat with us. And I'm excited for everybody to get to know you a little bit better and hopefully read more of your stuff. Yeah. So thanks so much for joining us. And thank you very much for having me. I really appreciate it.